I'm here with the filmmakers behind The Prisoner of Perdition, Cameron McCasland and Chad Pooler, which, Chad, I think you were an actor. Did, you did some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, too, right? Yeah, I was actually the production manager on that, okay, too. Cool. I've worked with uh, Cameron quite a bit, and I'm happy to be here today. Excellent. All right, and we are showing them with Deadly Damsel. We just interviewed the filmmakers behind that, so now it's their turn. Chad, you're not new to Unscript. You've been here a few times. Cameron, you are new, so I guess give some background about yourself. Tell us where you're from, what kind of stuff you do, what you worked on. And, Chad, if you want to, as a refresher, tell people where you're coming from, too. Sure. Sure. So I'm Cameron McCaslin. I'm a filmmaker based out of Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, made a lot of movies in Hopkinsville, Kentucky with Chad's father, Tim Emery, at the Copper Canyon Ranch, which is kind of how we fell into Prisoner of Perdition. Uh, I made my first feature-length movie, The Lashman, out there, as well as a short film called Taylor Poe that played a couple years ago and did, did pretty well. I shot a lot of stuff out there. I work in music videos and documentaries and things like that out of Nashville and, you know, just kind of keep going. And you said you've been in Nashville for quite a while now, but you migrated from Texas, right? Yeah, I originally grew up in a little town called Edgewood in East Texas. I was born in Dallas, uh, and I live went to high school all through there, and I moved to Nashville in 2001. I've been here ever since. Were you working in film uh, before? I guess you were pretty young, though, when you moved. I was pretty young. I I went, like say, I was I graduated high school and I went to college at a place called East Texas Baptist University, which Mm -hmm. is in Marshall, Texas, and I did some. did a little bit of production stuff in college, just as production assistants and whatnot. Uh, it's funny because that was – it's about 20 minutes away from Shreveport, Louisiana, where they make a whole lot of stuff now. But at the time, they weren't making hardly anything. But sure. my first job in the film industry, I, I worked as a production assistant on a, a music video for Don Henley of the oh, Eagles. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Did you get to meet Don Henley? I did. I hung oh, out with Don Henley all day that day. That's cool. And I know uh, you said you moved out with – this is kind of a music nerd uh, angle, mm-hmm. but uh, you moved out with uh, the band Holland. You kind of moved to Nashville with them, and they went on to form the Lonely Hearts. Very good band. You can find stuff from them on Spotify. I highly, highly suggest checking that out, Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Josiah Holland, who uh, played bass, was the – he was my college roommate at East Texas Baptist University, oh, yeah. and then his little brother, Will, was actually still in high school, and we, we hung around Texas for – um, basically waiting for him to graduate, and then he he graduated in the August following that we all moved to Nashville. Together. Was it just music that brought you to Nashville? Pretty or? much. Yeah. I, the first job I had in Nashville was working for a, a place called Embassy Music, which did a whole lot of gospel and bluegrass music, things mm-hmm. like that, and I worked in A&R. And I basically did that and was a tour manager for a couple different bands until one day I was sitting out, broken down somewhere in a van with a bunch of guys who hadn't showered in three days and decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So uh, I kind of pivoted the idea from like having a music career to having, you know, a film career because in East Texas, you can be the best there is on guitar and you get to Nashville and you're not worth a lick. Heck yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of active musicians out there for sure. For sure. Uh, Can you, can you talk about the bands you managed or uh, a whole lot of indie rock bands? I mean, like, uh, there was a band called The Connotations and a band called Quiet Company, which actually shot their first music oh, video. Yeah. Um, I, so Taylor Muse is the the godfather of my second child. Uh, I've made a ton of stuff with those guys even now. It's funny because like, Taylor uh, lived with me as well, but he hasn't been in Nashville now in it feels like probably 14 or 15 years. But I go down to Austin. We hang out still. I've made a couple music videos for them. I shot a documentary down in Austin when they did their last album. And uh, even now, like every time they have something, we kind of kick around the idea of if it makes sense. But it just depends on if I'm going to be where they're at or if it's cost effective for right. you know us to go together. And when you started getting into film, was music videos? Was that the first thing you did? It, it really was. So, like I had already like I had worked on a bunch of low budget like 
people short films at the film school there in Nashville and uh, low-budget horror movies and things like that. And it really just kind of turned into this idea of if I'm going to make anything for myself, I really just have to establish, you know, what I want to do. So I shot Quiet Company's first music video, and it we kind of hit at this perfect time where MySpace was still a thing. Oh, yeah. And um, the the video blew up like on MySpace at the same time MTV picked it up, started putting it in rotation. And I was like, I had this idea early on, which everybody does it now, but nobody did then is we, we put the music video out on the film festival circuit and it won an award at, um, in Jackson, Mississippi at the crossroads film festival. They kind of put us in a bunch of really cool places. And, you know, from there I kind of was able to turn that into a, a job making music videos and, you know, uh, and it, ever since then has been my you know it's been my go-to job that's awesome yeah we're showing a eight minute long music video from a metal band in louisville next week as a part of this and it's uh it's called you can't rock steady without bebop and it's like shot on like i think a vhs camera yeah and like it's all like degraded looking and has this these really weird almost tim and eric looking costumes from ninja turtles it's uh pretty wild music videos are it's funny because like i don't think that directors get enough credit for music videos if you think about like the the mtv music video awards who wins a music video award the artist wins it right but there's a lot of times that the artist may not ever even be on set when you're shooting the video it's it's such a funny dynamic because they don't mention the director a lot of them don't even think the director and I think there's a there's a certain portion of that where I feel like if directors took more of a stake in the filmmaking aspect of it and put it out there, it would be better for their own personal economy. You know what I mean? Um, because it's weird because in the, there's they almost put a wall up in the music business where they don't want anyone to know who's directing the video sure. because they don't want anyone to like steal that person away to come work for another <laughs> company. So it's it's yeah. weird how that works. That is weird. That's interesting. That's that's a cool. Like I don't think we ever had anybody who broke into all this like that on before. Yeah. Uh, Chad. So, like I said, you've been here before. Go ahead yeah. and I guess remind uh, everybody where you're coming from. Yeah, like you said, uh, my dad's our family's place there in Hopkinsville, the Copper Canyon Ranch. Yeah, uh, that's a great always, place. Always something going on. Uh, we just had another little film that we helped out on uh, Potter's Ground. They just did the Kickstarter for that. Uh, it's doing really good. Uh, Michael Butts. But uh, with Cameron, I've worked on him on uh, several different shorts, uh, Taylor Pole, uh, Retrieval Service, uh, you know, part of this anthology that he's going to be having coming out. I've helped quite a bit of that, worked on quite a bit of that. And then uh, uh, most recently, uh, I talked to Cameron about uh, doing an acting part in our, in our film that we're shooting part of it tomorrow, The Hart Brothers. And uh, we're excited about that. And uh, Probably the first like acting job I've taken in five years where it wasn't my own thing. I usually only act whenever I need a body in my own thing because someone didn't <laughs> yeah. show up. So well, we're excited about that. And, uh, the director that we have for that, uh, he did the silent natural there at my family's place last year. They filmed there two weeks. It was like, the heart brothers is such a great story. Have there, has there ever been a heart brothers? You know, there's a couple all? of segments that were done, uh, like one little segment, a part of one of these shows on the history channel. And, and there's tons of writings and things, but as far as video and stuff like that, you know, or even documentaries, there's really not been a lot done. On. We had a, we had a guy come to the library uh, from, um, he's a Kentucky historian. He did like an hour long talk. And I've got a podcast up of that. It's Very really, cool. really interesting. It's like, so they were technically America's first serial killers, right? Yeah. 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 They said they, uh, they got, ran out of Knoxville, Tennessee and kind of tore through Western Kentucky up into cave in the rock. And they said that they were so bad up there that the pirates, you know, they had to leave. 
But uh, and and the film that we're here to, tonight, The Prisoner of Perdition, uh, that was a ton of fun to work on. Uh, we did a lot of nighttime scenes, and then we did a lot of scenes that we shot in the daytime to make it look like it was nighttime. So and we got to work with John Wells. He's a John's awesome popular Kentucky actor, and Cameron had a great cast. And I don't I forget how many how many selections has that thing had so far. It, it played at over when, sixty film festivals. It's amazing, yeah. Um, it's, for most of 2017 and 2018, it's kind of this. This actually may end up being its last public screening. Yeah, it's been because so, I know you're working on something new. Yeah. We were talking about Sean, but you didn't quite get finished. Yeah, it's that. it's funny because so Prisoner Perdition kind of had I had this plan, and it um, we're kind of at the end of it now. Where I was um, reverse engineering a movie, I guess is the best way to put it. And we kind of made this list of what is all the stuff we have access to, what can we make, and at the same time, like you could get a lot of people to. Um, do a lot of good stuff for a couple days in a row, but it's hard to make a feature-length film. I made one a couple years ago. It nearly killed me, uh, both just spiritually and financially. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot of days. So I thought, well, how could we make short films that we could knock out over the course of you know a week that way? Because everyone can take a long weekend and, and work on something, and you can schedule it in a way that um, doesn't make it impossible for people to do. And so we started making these short films, and I was like, as we finish them, I'm going to put them out on the film festival circuit, but then collect them all into one piece for an anthology. Oh, yeah. And so Taylor Poe is going to end up in there with Prisoner of Perdition, and then I've shot another film called Retrieval Service, uh, and then another one called The Rider that are both shot, and we're at the very tail end of the edit. Uh, I really had hoped we were going to get to show one of those tonight, and we, we, we were finished except the music, and it just oh, didn't, work. Yeah. didn't work out, so hopefully we'll get to bring it back next yeah, year. The, yeah, definitely. I mean, and I love this one, too. I'm, I know we tried to get it in uh, last year, but yeah. it's, it's a great film, and I, I, I'm a sucker for westerns, and I love the Copper Canyon Ranch. Before we get into the film itself, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Copper Canyon Ranch presents Ghost Town 2018. Join us every Friday and Saturday night, starting September 28th through October 27th. Tickets are only $13 per victim. Children 7 and under are free. Check us out on Facebook at Copper Canyon Ranch, located at 14750 Oval Road in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Or call 270-269-2416. My dad, he, he had a, a bar in Hopkinsville when I was a real young kid, and he had, uh, on the side of the building, he had a false front that looked like old West buildings, and he would get out there and do these live reenactments and shows for his patrons. And that was my first taste of like live theater, getting out there in front of people doing things like that. And when he sold the bar and everything and moved out to the country, he bought a property and decided that he was going to build a three-dimensional town, you know, him and my stepmom. And, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the first movies filmed out there was Guntown with Lee Revoort. Mm-hmm. I think you were yeah, part a co-producer of, on, producer that, on that one. And then, uh, you know, it just went on from there. And now, you know, my dad's having to schedule out different things. Like I said, we have, you know, we've got a scout coming tomorrow while we're filming from another part. But music videos, being close to Nashville, uh, it's bringing a lot of people up. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of music videos. There's... There's a guy that wants to do a, a, a Western musical, you know, just huh. to film part of that there. I've seen, you know, I've had, the guy was here last week, uh, Kate Gregory, he, he shot a music video for these guys called the Everyday Losers and oh, kind of like a rock good, band, yeah. and, and that was different. It, it, me and Cameron were talking on the drive over here about, about the ranch. It's a magic place, and it's cool to see other people that go in there and see how they how they view it and how they tell their story around it in and, and, and different shots and things like that, and to see it like that it's really cool and I, every time we work there I know you know you wind up having these real magic moments happen there it's a great place uh, 
seems like something cool is always happening there. Yeah, I, I got to get down there. I've only seen seen yeah. it in the film. Yeah. And I get yeah, one of those t-shirts. Those, those t-shirts Definitely. are great. I've, I've seen them in a couple of pictures. On yeah. the- and Tim Emery is such a he's such a fascinating guy. It's uh, Chad really like he's not even telling the whole thing. I mean, his right. his father was a was a fairly well to do musician in the 1970s. Put out a record that was uh, kind of big, and at a certain point, just he in building this town like. A, You've never met anyone like him because he just kind of has this place and he runs it and he walks around it and he lives in it and like he breathes it. <laughs> and it's, uh, I always tell people it's a, it's a bit of a drunken poet story where mm-hmm. it's like, you'll just see him. Like, I don't know that anyone ever has a life like that or anyone else could sustain <laughs> a life the way that he has because people come to him to make the stuff. He's been in all the stuff because of the space that's all around him. And he's a, he's a fantastic actor in his own right. He's mm-hmm. a, uh, He's got so much knowledge that he'll he'll just say things that are they're poetic and prophetic at the same time, <laughs> and you don't even realize it's happening until after it's done. You're like, man, I learned so much from that guy, and yeah, you he's know, a real cool guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta get down there. That, that's that's definitely on my to do list for sure. I understand y'all have your reasons for wanting to string that varmint up. Yeah. Believe me, I do. As long as I'm wearing this badge on my chest, there'll be no more lynchings in this town. That man could be persuasive, and he lies like a tombstone. This one here's got a ten-gallon mouth. Don't let him get to you while I'm gone. No problem. I tell you, Marshall's gone too far this time. He was elected by the people of tradition. He's got to do what we tell him. We can't go taking the law in our own hands. Shut up! do what's right. Marshall be damned. Wall is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. i lock the box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. Tell me about where the idea of Prisoner of Perdition came from. Yeah, so... Again, like I said, I, I was kind of reverse engineering a movie, and I already made some stuff out there, and I knew I wanted to do a Western. That's kind of where my mind always goes. I think a lot of people that know my independent stuff kind of know me from my horror movies, but um, my my taste leans towards Westerns a lot. Sure. And so I had this this idea of like, okay, we have this Western town, and we have a certain amount of uh, – you know, I know I have this many days to shoot it, so it can be this long. And I went to Larry Underwood, who had been my producing partner. He has a show out of Nashville called Dr. Gangrene's Creature Feature that's been on the air for 20 years at this point. It's summertime and things are heating up. So when you go out, it's important to drink plenty of fluids. <laughs> but did you know that single-use plastic bottles account for over 5 billion tons of litter each year? What's worse, they don't decompose and will still be sitting in landfills thousands of years from now. Do your part by using reusable containers and drinking from taps and fountains. And if you do use plastic bottles, be sure and place them in a recycle bin. So let's put a cap on litter and go green with Dr. Game Green. We still make a lot of things together, but I, I told them, I said, here's what I've got. i got this western town. Um, here's a couple people that I know I want to put in it. Uh, I, I know I want to see torches in the thing. And basic concept is this. What if you had a gel? And you uh, locked a guy up, but the guy that's locked up in the jail is the devil himself. <laughs> and it's the idea of like, how do you protect this person? Like, is it? It's the someone is if they're able, um, duty and like and, and honor bound to protect this person and give them a fair trial. 
but he is an evil, evil person, and there's people outside his door that are willing to kill him to get to the guy. Yeah, what does that look deep. like? It's, it's a very and deep idea. That's kind of the concept. So I gave that to Larry as a just as a concept, and he wrote it. And you know, it's like I kind of said, "This is what I love about." It's on it. the this credit. Is, it said like a based on a short story or something. So he wrote yeah, it so, a short it's, story. it's funny though because it's so the. The funny thing about that is, like, Larry at the time had taken this pause in uh, his TV career and were writing all these short stories. Mm-hmm. And so he had, um, I don't know, I think he wrote a dozen. He, he published a book and he was like, I'm going to do a story a month. And I, you know, but we knew we were going to be making this movie. And I said, listen, I know that we're not doing any TV right now, but I want to do a Western. So, like, I gave him this, like, basically a jumping off point. He wrote it as a short story to be published in his book, and then I took the short story and kind of changed. There's a couple things that got changed from the from one to the other. Uh, a lot of times to simplify, and, and other times it was just as simple as like I think in the story it's a it's a sheriff, but the sign at Copper Canyon says Marshal's Office, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to pay for a new sign, oh, so right. we changed it to a Marshal. Yeah. Th- that kind of stuff, you know what okay, I mean? It's um, pretty minor stuff. But it, it, it is it is based off of the short story, but the short story was informed by the fact that we were making the movie. If that makes any sense at all. How long did it take you to adapt? that into a screenplay the funny thing is like so he had already written the story and we were already adapting it into a screenplay before the story was even published oh, okay and so um i don't remember what magazine the story originally came out in at this point but i was the first person that read it yeah. and again because i had kind of given him the this is what i wanted to be he was leaning on me pretty hard of like you know it's like giving him the as a writer giving him the space to go do whatever he wanted but also to be like you know, I need something I can shoot. And sure. so, you know, we were very much working together that, but I didn't write it at all. You know, it's like, and I, I, I tell people all the time, like I, there, I've made movies that I have written, but at the same time, like I, I really was trying to go against um, myself and try to lean on other people's work in a lot of ways, because I, I feel like as filmmakers, we all have a tendency to take on more jobs sometimes than we need to. Sure. And for this, it's like, I wanted other people to have space to, to create and do a thing. And I, I think it turned out really well. That's cool, yeah, it's great. Fantastic. It's, uh, it's in his book. I, I would tell everybody it's worth reading it and then watching the movie to see. How I'd much love to read it. Yeah. So his, his book, can you get it in bookstores? You can, and stuff? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, called tales from parts unknown and it's a collection of short stories. And, and the name again, uh, it's Larry Underwood is the Larry writer. It's tales from parts unknown. I know it's, I mean, you can get it off of Amazon. For okay, sure, cool. So, yeah, we'll check that out for sure. Once you had the script down and everything, like, tell me about the journey to finding your cast. Did you write for people you knew, or did you go out and get people? Kind uh, of. So I, I knew um, John Wells was a guy that I had wanted to work with. He's who I had in mind originally as as the prisoner. And then I actually I met Rusty James. Um, th- I, I knew his wife Cindy, mm-hmm. but I met him uh, through an event in Evansville because. Every year I've, for the last, I don't know how many years, like I've attended both the Mayday Film Festival and the Alhambra Film Festival. I met Rusty at the Alhambra. Was that when you showed Tally Poe? Because I was, I was for the I believe so. I, yeah. I, um, timeline gets a little bit foggy. In yeah. where, because I, I'd I already known that. Cindy. I had known Cindy for a couple of years, but I had not met Rusty. Yeah. And then we just had a conversation. We just, we kind of met and got on real well. And I just kind of put him in the back of my mind because so much of what, you know, what I was trying to do is like, I, I looked at everything. I was like, okay, I'm in Nashville. We're going to shoot this thing in Hopkinsville. Evansville is just as close to Nashville. Sure. You know, as, as, as when it comes to Hopkinsville. And I really was just trying with this anthology. It's like I couldn't repeat any actors because I wanted every story to have a, a different take. That way when we put it into one big piece, you don't see faces repeating. Right. And I really was just trying to branch out and just kind of open myself up to work with different people. And it's, you know, Rusty seemed like a guy that, you know, I was going to get on with really well. So I was like, let's try to make this movie together in the hopes that, that this all kind of goes. And, you know, from there, I 
Cindy came into the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, John was out of Louisville. We had some actors out of Nashville. We put a lot of local cast out of Hopkinsville. Let's say you had a, all the time. a large amount of extras. It really was a fully fleshed out town. Did, uh, were yeah. they, so they were just locals, pretty much. A lot of them are just the people out of the ranch, and I, I think part of that, you know, leads to the fact that that Tim is really good about getting people out on projects. And the were, other part is, were they people who? And because I know you do show like live shows. They are some people that work at, at the the. At, work at the ranch on shows and wherever they do live performances. But I, the fact that I had made so much stuff up there at this point, I've got a lot of relationships with those people oh, because yeah. they, they, you know, they know whenever they come out, they know what they're getting into and they know it's like, it's, it's going to get finished. It's going to be good. It's, you know, it's like they're going to get, you know, it's very least well fed. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get, you know, people out and we shot at a time of year where the weather was, it was hot, but not uh, impossible. So it's like, you know, it was a good time for everyone to be outside Tell me about the shooting of the, the film. We shot it. It was, it was June of 2016 over the course of a three-day weekend. Basically, we had um, – we we shot some stuff at night, but then we also – I mean, we worked – it was three very long days, and we had wrapped up one of the sets, at, which was the marshal's office to do the interior. We had to kind of black wrap everything out there because all those sets are real wooden sets, and so the sunlight creeps in through the cracks, and to, to – combat that we had to kind of black it all out so we took basically which is the the same kind of black wrap they would put under a a driveway before they pour concrete like the, the, the catches uh, catches rain yeah. and we wrapped the entire building up so none of the sunlight could get <laughs> in so we were shooting you know during the day for night and then whenever night whenever the night would come we would shoot our exterior scenes and that's how <laughs> we we kind of went about it and we shot um like I say, it was it was from Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. I think whenever I finally pulled back into Nashville, it was like nine o'clock in the morning on on the the Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember if it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or if it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But it was a long, a long, long weekend. So and it was just three day shoot. Just three day shoot. Wow, yeah. that's impressive. And we were very um, again. It's like the the guys that I work with. I I try to. I have a shorthand with all of them at this point. We make a lot of stuff together. Uh, we went into it and were very economical about mm-hmm. the things that we needed to shoot versus what we. Lots of pre-planning. Exactly, mm-hmm. lots of pre-planning. A lot of we we kind of knew we had, you know prevised a whole lot of stuff. We knew exactly what we needed to make it happen, and then we went in there and shot it. And just and I think the movie, you know, it, it, the, with the runtime, I don't exactly know how many pages per day we shot because some of it goes real fast and some of it takes a long time to set up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, we were just quick on our feet and getting everything that we could. And we, we got 95% of what we set out to shoot. We, we picked up, there was only one big thing in them that was in the script. That's in the story that we ended up dumping. We actually, we did shoot it, but it didn't look exactly how I wanted it to look. And I was like, I just don't know that we need this. So we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to kill it. So that's the only thing you yeah. like, didn't use your shot. Yeah. Wow, that much. is very impressive. Uh, what kind of equipment did you guys have? So for that movie, we shot it on a Canon C100. Um, it has a very cool look. It, yeah, it's we, we did a whole lot of. Um, I, I tell people kind of the trick to that is like we we fogged everything almost mm. all the time. I have an old Mole Richardson fog machine oh, yeah. that we we would just pump the set full of the stuff. So whenever we once we had the whole room bagged off, we could kind of just blow all the stuff in there. So it had a real milky look to it, and that's really kind of what I was going for. We had looked at um, the the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp film mm, and yeah. some of the the stuff that they shot at night during that it was all lit by lamplight and so a whole lot of what we did was like we had a base you know we had one base light that fog helps kind of 
white in the room, but we actually took old oil lamps and kind of placed them sporadically in the spaces we were going to be to give the look that we we wanted it because we almost wanted it to hum. If that makes any sense at all, yeah. we want you to like. If you've ever been close to an oil lamp, it's got this kind of sizzle that is constant. We wanted you to feel that through the entire movie, and yeah. so did you add any like sound design sort of stuff that, to give you that feel too? Like there, a, there's a little bit there, but it wasn't so much about hearing it as much as just kind of ambient noise. Exactly, just kind of feeling it out. I'll tell you a funny tidbit too. He, he, he get, I played the part of Jim as like the the leader of the mob. You know, I don't want to give it all away. Watch it in a little bit, but. Uh, Cameron told me that he wanted to get some torches together. So we, we went uh, with a buddy of mine, Andy Grace, and we went out to this Mennonite barn. We dug out all these tobacco sticks. And my dad, he wasn't there for that night shoot. But when he got back, I, I had taken all his socks and wrapped all these tobacco sticks to make torches. And he was like, where'd all my socks go? <laughs> we had like all these torches. But man, the way he had it set up and there was a shot with the scaffolding up high and those guys coming with the torches, it looked, it looked badass. Uh, talk about the costuming too, because everything looked very authentic. I, I assume a lot of that probably came from Copper Canyon and the the yeah. I think you bought it, some stuff too and had some wardrobe. It did. I, I, the guns too. I purchased um, some things for the principal cast where we we really, um, I really thought about how I wanted everyone to look as far as that we're going to be on the screen for for the most of the film. Uh, we were very good about like John is dressed in red, which is just a small mm-hmm. thing. We tried not to show that much more red right. outside of that. Um, and so I made sure that everyone looked good from boots to hats, you know, uh, when it came to our principal cast, everybody else from Copper Canyon, what it really was like, some of those guys have some great costumes. We had a, with that many people, we had some people showed up that weren't exactly period specific. So we were very good at placing them, uh, in far spaces enough away. Yeah. far enough away that like it, it may have the hint, you know, of it, but it's like, if you really were to freeze frame it, dissect it, you could probably find something in there mm-hmm. that is not... Not correct, but uh, overall, like I think it gives the feel of it. Yeah, it looks everything like seemed perfect to the to the time period. Yeah. And I'm like I said, I'm a big Western fan. I'm also a big supernatural sort of yeah. fan, and like combining these two together, that's that's kind of my jam. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like one of my favorite comics series. I don't. Did, did you ever read the Sixth Gun? I don't know if you read. A lot I of have time. not read that. I do it, read it, comics, but I haven't. It's, read that. It's across. It's like Lord of the Rings meets the Old West meets like voodoo. It's okay. A, it was supposed to be a show. Like I think one of the Lost guys, Lindelof or Cues, uh, can't remember which one. They did a pilot for it, and the pilot got a lot of like raves in Still the early season up. never got picked up by NBC yeah. but the books it's I think a six part book, uh, graphic novel and it's just it's a perfect meld of fantasy and western it's, yeah, it's I need really to good for sure. um, but yeah that's that's awesome and yeah I love the movie tell me about the premiere like when did you first show it and what was the initial reaction oh man um, so the first place we went down to Oklahoma at the I believe it was the Trail Dance Film Festival was the first place that we showed it mm-hmm. and um, Oklahoma actually was really good at that film. We played in like half a dozen different, basically every film festival that Oklahoma had set up. Oh, they, wow. they asked and you said you've been in like 60 total, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it played at a ton of places. I, I traveled a lot with the movie. I, I really had, um, it's funny because I had just kind of come off the road with Taylor mm-hmm. Poe, and, um, I, and I may even be getting that mixed up because like they were, it, it's funny because like Taylor Poe ran into Beast in the Cave, and then Beast in the Cave ran into Perdition, and then there was a moment there where all three of those films were playing at, different film festivals at the same time. And there was even a couple of times where mm-hmm. two of them or three, I think once even like all three of them got played at the same film festival. Did, because are you, Were you doing submissions yourself or did you hire somebody to get it? <clears> I was pretty out? much doing submissions myself. I had already like, um, I feel like when it comes to film festivals, the best thing you can do is travel with your movie. Yeah. If you get up there and you meet the people, it's, it's one of those things where like, 
you have a better chance of going back to that. And I, I don't like a lot of people would say, well, that's favoritism. I think what a lot of that turns into is like you, you, you meet friends and you talk to people and like film festivals in general, the programmers get invested in your career because like they see you at one point in your career and then they see how you grow and they want to bring you back to talk about that. Sure, and it's so, also a great way to meet other filmmakers. It, it's a great way to meet other filmmakers. It's a great way to get outside of your own head. And like, again, like whatever you're talking about independent cinema, like I don't ever feel like I'm in competition with anyone but myself. So it's like, there's nothing about the, um, I'm just looking for new eyeballs. And so you're going to get that at a film festival. You're going to get, you're going to see things in other people's movies and they're, they're right there. You can talk to them like, Hey, how specifically did you pull that off? Like whether it be how you wrote it or how did you shoot it? Or what did you, you know, what kind of gag did you do? And they'll be like, Oh, this don't ever do that because it was painful and hard and it didn't work. Or yeah, we did this and it cost a dollar. And I'm like, well, I can't exactly like steal your movie, but I can steal the idea for how sure. you pull a shot off. And it's like, and you learn from it's each other. Way, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, and I think it, it, it grows, it grows camaraderie. And like, there, I have so many people that I have met over the last five years that I can lean on that may not be in Nashville or in my backyard. But if I'm, if I'm looking to do something a certain way, I can call them and say, Hey, this is what I'm looking at. How would you approach this? Or it may just be as simple as simple as like, I'm thinking about hiring this person. I saw that you work with them and they go, Oh no, don't do that. They're a crazy person. (laughs) And it's, that's, that's good information to have that you wouldn't otherwise have. And like I say, it it puts you in, it just puts you in better places to do things. And uh, it's funny because I, whenever there was a movie that I produced a couple years back that I had gone down to Austin, Texas and because I went to Austin, Texas and met these people, there was a producer out of Los Angeles and Ar- another one out of Arkansas that they were like, we love your movie. That place looks so incredible. And I was like, oh, it's up in Kentucky. They hired me to produce their movie and they came out and shot it in Kentucky. Oh, wow. And it's like, and that only happens because I go out on the road with this yeah. film. And so it, and it brings another movie back. It's kind of like uh, when Black Flag first started touring, like there was like no like indie band sort of like circuit. Everybody just played in their hometown and they yep. went out to these different and they made all these contacts and befriended people in these other towns. And then it developed into a network that other bands used too. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so the people at the first festival showing, they really got into I, it? That was there, I think. And then we, we showed it at, um, again, uh, Everything kind of gets kind of. I know the first time we showed it, like really kind of locally, was up in Evansville at um, the, you know Alhambra. Or yeah, at Alhambra, and they showed the, the the big movie theater. They did it on opening night, and it's like we got a really good response, you know, out of the movie. And I really did not expect that film to do as well as it did, as far as like film festival wise, because it's too long. Um, it twenty three minutes. No one wants to program a movie that's long because you. Why would you program a twenty three minute movie when you can? program you know three or four six to eight minute films right. you know uh, so i really kind of thought like well there's a couple places i know that i can send it where people I have relationships with there's a couple places that are western specific and not a lot of people make westerns so i thought w- we could play at these half a dozen film festivals and then we'll kind of sit back but people kept asking for it and so we just kept sending it out and like it played for what amount to a year and a half i mean if for oh, every wow. month there was a screening somewhere for a year and a half that's awesome well, that uh, kind of brings us to the end of the chat. Uh, it's yeah. getting close to showtime. I know you've kind of interspersed advice throughout the podcast. So if you got anything else to add, any kind of things you want to plug, uh, go ahead and drop that in now. Sure. So I think, you know, as far as advice goes, I think making anything, just being, allowing yourself to suck is the number one thing you can do to be a better filmmaker. It's like if you set out to do something, attempt it, make it, 
put it out in the world, get feedback on it, and then do it again. Rinse, repeat, and you know, it's like add to and take away. The good and the bad from that, you're going to get better. Uh, so much of this is just staying at it. You know, it's like once you decide you're going to do it and that's all that you can do, you'll make it if you just keep doing it. You get better. It's I don't know. It's weird how it works, but it's like the people who don't make it are the people that quit. Right. It may take you a year. It may take you 20 years, but sooner or later, you're going to make something that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as stuff to check out, like say my website is CameronMcCaslin.com, or you can see uh, the same stuff at RedheadedRevolution.com, which is my production company. I've got a new documentary out called Jumpin' Johnny, uh, the incredible true story of Dr. John Klein about Harlem Globetrotters legend Johnny Klein, who just got uh, inducted so to the Naysmith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, it's just starting its festival run right now, so throughout the year – We'll be posting stuff up about that. Um, I've got two other short films that are coming out with this anthology that's going to be playing this summer at a lot of drive-in theaters around America. And uh, the best thing to do is just check me out at my website or on Facebook. I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. If you ask me a question, I will definitely answer you. Chad? Uh, awesome. Yeah, I've, I've, like I said, uh, worked with Cameron a lot, and I'm proud to be here uh, uh, to see the Prisoner of Perdition again. Uh, we we uh, had shown it at the Alhambra in uh, Hopkinsville, too, and it had a wonderful turnout there for it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, as far as plugs, uh, our Fuller and Green Productions, our uh, newest film, Heart Brothers, which Cameron uh, is going to play in that. Tomorrow we're filming that at the Copper Canyon Ranch. That's another plug. But uh, I'm glad to be back here at Unscripted. Sorry we couldn't make it last week. I know we had uh, our short uh, in a flash. Matt Green and I we uh, we had a thing with uh, we had John Dugan who was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it just happened to be yeah. And he was filming that's on that awesome. certain day, and that was the only day that we could get to it. Yeah, that's understandable. No worries. Uh, but uh, we'll glad get to you be back, back here at Unscripted, man, and uh, can't wait to see the prisoner tonight. Yep. Heck yeah! All right, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, we got to go finish setting up. Cool. <laughs> Thank you.